Welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I'm joined by Casey Liss. Casey, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. I'll let you go ahead and start by introducing yourself. Yeah. So like, like you said, my name is Casey Liss. Uh, I'm a podcaster, an app developer, occasionally a writer. Um, you might know me most recently from my new app, Call Sheet, which is, I think, kind of what we're going to be talking about here today. Um, think about it as a movie lookup app that actually respects you as a user. Uh, you might know me from my podcast with my good friends, Mark Orman and John Syracuse, the Accidental Tech Podcast, or perhaps my other podcast with Mike Hurley, Analog, over at Relay FM. That's kind of my sh- Dick, but I think we're here probably to talk about call sheet, huh? Yeah. So I want to, well, hopefully we won't get into reviews of products because I got all my new stuff. <laughs> so I'll try <laughs> to avoid enough. gloating. Yep. I'll try to avoid gloating that that's for your other show. But yeah, yeah. today we'll talk about call sheet. So I, I kind of had thought about having you on when you had peak of you and masquerade, but then I, when I heard about call sheet, I was like, okay, this looks awesome. I tried it out. It's fantastic. What, what do you think are some like lessons you learned from the other two apps that you were able to build upon when it comes to call sheet? Yeah, I think that's a great question. So the other apps, the first one that, that I had released was an app called peak of you and the very, very brief nickel tour. That is my, at the time my daughter was two, she's now five. And we had just been to Disney World, and she really liked flipping through pictures on our phones, which in and of itself was fine, but I was deeply worried that she was going to find the delete button and then start deleting all the pictures on our phones. Yeah. And so it occurred to me, well, I'm a developer. I know how to fix this problem. So Peak of View is basically a read-only photo gallery, and you can limit what photos you're looking at. So maybe if you had an album of like comps you wanted to show to a client, you could hand the client your phone, you know, engage guided access, which is an Apple thing, and then the only thing they can do is look at these you know, five or ten pictures or what have you. And then Masquerade, kind of similar thing. Once my kids got to be about three or four years old and they were no longer squishes and actual people, I got more reluctant about putting their faces particularly on the internet. Like it's one thing to see a, a random toddler body, but you know, it's, it's a little different to see their faces. And I didn't want to be in a situation where they're looking back on pictures I posted 10 years ago as like, you know, early teenagers. And they're saying, why did you do that dad? Like what's wrong with you <laughs> now? Maybe that'll still happen. And they'll ask, why did you put emoji over our faces? But anyway, so the point of the point of masquerade is it uses Apple's, you know, machine learning APIs to just quickly let you drop an emoji on all the faces in a photograph. And and you can change which emoji it is and so on and so forth. So that's the nickel tour of those two apps. And to answer your question, you know, what did I learn from them? Some of the code actually was pulled directly from each of them. Like a lot of my um, app store related implementation was it was at least heavily ripped from and then built upon um, from Masquerade. Uh, the settings in app settings, you know, has evolved over my apps and gotten a little less ugly and a little more robust with each time. <laughs> but generally, I think just more experience with Swift UI, uh, not as much Swift particularly, but Swift UI specifically. Okay. I, I wouldn't say I'm the world's best Swift UI developer, but I've gotten to the point that I'm I can get most things done with only mild amounts of hair pulling and Googling and so on and so forth. So uh, you got got to walk before you can run. And and I don't know if you would consider call sheet me running or not in this already abused metaphor, but I like to think call sheet looks pretty decent. And I I didn't get too out of, out of bounds on, you know, doing weird swift UI things and call sheet. And, and if it wasn't for those other two apps, I think I would have been in the deep end and it wouldn't look near as good as, as it has ended up looking. Were the other two apps Swift UI? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, Peak of You was most, I don't know, it was like half and half. It was story. God, I haven't looked at that code in a while. I think it was like half storyboards, half Swift UI, if memory serves. Okay. Because this was, this was roughly 2019 that I had written it, 2019, 2020, I think, okay. something like that. And so it was a bit of a bit of UI kit and a bit of Swift UI. Masquerade is almost entirely Swift UI and call sheet. I don't think there's any UI kit. There was briefly during the beta period. And I don't think there's any UI kit left in it. Or if there is, it's so little, it, it's effectively none. Are you are you still actively developing those apps? Like I'm telling myself I am. Whether okay. or not I actually am is up for grabs. So there's a couple of like minor bugs in each app that I that I need to look at and should fix, and probably if I'm honest with myself, should have fixed already. But candidly, you know, as a single app developer, as an indie app developer, I got to allocate my time the most appropriate way and the most appropriate way and i would think generally to advocate to allocate my time is to put it where the money is and the money is not in masquerade and it is not in peak view it's currently in call sheet and so if i'm going to spend some time i'm probably going to be spending it on call sheet especially since i feel like and i don't know it makes me feel really gross to kind of pat myself on the back but i feel like i have a kind of good thing going like call sheet is not perfect but i think it's pretty good and it's i think far and away the best of my three apps and so i i want to keep that momentum going both for me and for my users and for you know any press that might have an eye on it or something like that and so i want to keep that ball rolling and it's hard to do that if i'm context switching all the time to these other apps mm-hmm. that while i've 100%. certainly made money from them yeah. it, it it's not an it, it wasn't a ton of money and i mean i haven't made a ton of money from call sheet but i've made orders of magnitude more than i have right, from the right. other two so you know you got to do what you got to do when there's only one of you why why do you think it's your best app and i i mean both best app as far as like the craft of it but also best mm-hmm. app as far as the money coming in and yeah. press attention and everything else what do you think is i mean i can think of a few reasons why call sheet would be but <laughs> like what do you think is the secret to making call sheet more successful than the other ones yeah, it's a great question. I think it's a few things. Peak of View, I think, while a good app, is an extremely niche user base. Like someone who is often handing their phone to another person yeah. that they don't trust, trust. either implicitly yeah. or explicitly. That That is something that happens fairly frequently, but maybe not enough that you're really going to find an app to, to solve that problem. With, with Masquerade, I think that actually... If you, maybe it's because I'm an old, but um, I think that could have a lot more legs than it ended up having if you're someone who is concerned about privacy and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I'm 41. I My early years are pre-internet, and you know the high school-ish time was when the internet was really starting to become a real and proper thing. And by the time I went to college in the early 2000s, you know, the internet was for real. But that being said, you know, photographs on the internet, that was still not as much of a thing that that makes me sound older than I mean but like social media the way we think of it today wasn't a thing like Facebook came out right after I graduated college and so sharing pictures on the internet wasn't as common and and so for me having not grown up with my with my likeness across the internet always it still feels a little like skeevy and weird to have Mm -hmm. photos everywhere and to put somebody else's likeness on the internet without their permission that seems a little weird, but I think that I'm part of a dying breed. And so I, I wonder if Masquerade is is a relic of a lost time. Like, I do think it's a good app, but I don't know it's, if it's a necessary app. Now, contrast that with Call Sheet. So Call Sheet, 
the the guiding idea behind it was I am so sick and tired of the Internet Movie Database app, the IMDb app, that's constantly nagging you to log in. It's constantly trying to send you advertisements or show you advertisements. It's constantly yeah. auto-playing videos. Like, everything about that experience is just trash, in my personal opinion. And I'm sure the people who work on it are very bright and very good, but when you have this massive corporate overlord of Amazon, you have to, you know, do what they tell you to do. Is and so Amazon's own? Owns IMDb? Mm-hmm. I did not yeah, as that. far as I know, yeah, I'm pretty darn oh, sure wow. about that. Okay. Uh, yep. And so, you know, when Amazon wants to make money off of it, you got to do what Amazon wants you to do. And so, right. you know, when, when I sat down to write what became Call Sheet, I just wanted something like IMDb that wasn't awful to use. And I think there's a lot of other people that use IMDb begrudgingly. And now that there is any alternative, that's like a cold glass of water in, in a very hot place. You know what I mean? And so I think that there's a pretty big audience of people who have also found this pain and would love to fix it. Now the, the things become a little squishy though, when you have, there's people who have this pain, but they may not want to spend money on fixing it. And that's where it becomes a little tough. Right. And that's where if I'm doing my job, right, then I need to do everything in my power to make sure that I am, I have enough features and enough good things to justify the cost. And, and I think I do. I, I really think the app is competitively priced, even when competing with free. But it's a tough sell. I mean, any from free to anything is hard, and that that's the that's the big task for Call Sheet. Yeah, I'm about I'm about the same age as you, and I have six kids and four six? Are adopted. Oh my word! Kids, oh yes. my word! My yes. my wife is one of five, and I I find that to be utterly bananas. I can't imagine six. <laughs> But like, yeah, four of them are adopted, so privacy oh, is definitely Even a concern. For you. Yeah. yeah, so like with with Maker or Masquerade, yeah, yeah. yeah Masquerade, it's like, yeah, that makes total sense. And yeah, we had Josh Holtz on to talk about Pika. What was it? Pika. Playpen. Oh, Playpen oh, oh, oh. was his app. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the same idea where you use guided access. So like, mm-hmm. Pika View is like, yeah, I love that idea of. I wish there were more apps that took advantage of guided access. Yeah, but. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I could see why CallSheet is a successful app. And, like, certainly IMDb makes it as, as easy as possible for you to <laughs> right. to build an app that's useful. Do you want to, like, explain, like, what were some of the, like, issues with IMDb and what you were trying – why you were trying to make an app that, like, I think you, you put it as, like, that's actually nice to the user and, like, a convenient, fun app to use for movie info. Yeah. So for me, it, it was both, it, it started in a kind of negative way, I guess, which is just, I, I don't want to see a prompt to log in. I don't want to be shown ads. I don't want to be shown autoplaying video. I just want to be able to get in and get out and look up what I want to look up. But then once I started building call sheet, it occurred to me, you know, there's ways I can actually make this kind of delightful. And some of the things that I, that I started working on were things like, you know, being able to hide spoilers and, you know, I've told the story a couple times, but it's it's such a pivotal moment for me. Years ago, I think it was late 2019, I was watching the watching the HBO miniseries Watchmen, which is phenomenal. If you haven't seen it, couldn't couldn't recommend it enough. And no spoilers, but one of the characters, well, a couple of the characters really, but one of the characters in particular had a dual role, and you don't find about find out about the character's other role, or I guess like it's kind of the actor's other role. You don't find mm-hmm. out about that until about halfway through the series, and so. Early on in the series, I was looking up this particular individual because I was not familiar with their work at all or who they were at all. And I'm scrolling through IMDb and I see, and again, no spoilers, but I see, you know, Mr. Smith slash, you know, 
super agent man or whatever. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was not prepared for that. I didn't want to yeah. know that. No. Yeah. So, so as I'm building call sheet, it occurred to me, I can fix this. And so one of my favorite features of call sheet is at least for TV shows, as we sit right now, for TV shows, you can optionally hide spoilers, things like character names, episode counts. You know, what if your favorite character on the show, what if they're only in one episode? Well, I guess that character's about to get killed off, you know, or whatever the case may be, or written <laughs> off the show. You can hide episode titles, episode thumbnails. I forget what else there is. I feel like there's one or two okay. other things. But the, the idea being you can hide all of this stuff so that as you're just casually browsing, you're not putting yourself in a position where you're ruining a show for yourself. And like... You know, Watchmen wasn't ruined by this revelation that I had or this discovery that I had, but it definitely the the reveal was worse because I already knew what was coming and I didn't want to have that happen again. And so the more I work with call sheet now that I've got like the the standard, the, the base level done, the more I work with it, the more I realize there are little bits of surprise and delight that I can do that really can be fun. And I'm working on currently some of this is already out in the app store. Some of it is not. But one of one of the things I'm working on is I know I and a lot of other people always want to know, well, how old was that person when this was recorded or when, you know, when, when it was released or whatever the case may be. And so as you scroll through movies or, or through a or a person's, you know, filmography, it'll show, well, you know, for the year 2022, they were 40 or 41 years old for the year 2021. They were 39 or 40 years old or whatever the case may be. And, and that's already in the app store. And then what's coming in the app store is if you're looking at a movie, you can see, you know, this actor plays, you know, Margot Robbie played Barbie and she's, I think like 33 years old at the time this movie was released or something like that. And that's silly. And maybe some people don't care, but a lot of people I know just find that interesting information. And it's also kind of stark mm-hmm. yeah, to see totally. how, you know, how all the men in the movies are like 10, 15 years older than all the women, but that's neither here nor there. And so, <laughs> you know, and so with this, this is stuff that I can do to surprise and delight my users. And now that call sheet is out and I'm, and I've started, and I think I've got that base level done. Like I said, I can do a lot more than that, more with that. And that I find to be incredibly riveting and incredibly fun for me too. Cause it's so fun to have somebody, you know, get on Mastodon and toot at me, you know, Oh, I just saw such and such, you know, this, I just saw this feature and it, oh my gosh, I love it so much. I can't believe I, 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 you, you did what I wanted and I didn't even know I wanted it, which is mm-hmm. a very Apple yeah. thing. And I haven't been, I haven't gotten a lot of those, but the fact that I've gotten any, I consider a you know, personal victory. I'm just pat myself on the back real quick. So. Yeah, I love like the rabbit hole aspect of it where yeah. it's like, okay, okay, now I go here and then I find out, oh, this person was in this movie, this movie has this actor, this had, oh, and just keep going and going. That's what I love about it is mm-hmm. that like rabbit hole feel to it. What were like the first initial challenges you ran into when you started developing the app? Uh, you know, that's a good question. There wasn't, there wasn't that much. There's That's not a very satisfying answer, but I didn't have that many like specific challenges i think the biggest thing was the the information architecture like how do you represent an extremely wide and extremely deep bit of information and that's a hard thing to do and i had a lot of help from yeah. my friend ben mccarthy between that themselves and me i think we landed in a pretty good spot but it took a while to figure out how do i want this app to look and Ben has suggested to me some very, very just truly gorgeous re-implementations of what I've got, but it's hard because I want to make sure that I'm not losing 
speed in favor yeah. of pretty. And and not to say that Ben's designs are bad. I'm not trying to say that at all. In fact, I, I, I can't say enough how amazing Ben's designs are. When you're saying design, are you talking architecture design or visual like design? Visual design. So, so okay, okay. you know, Ben, Ben, what if you rejigger, you know, you, instead of a poster on one side and information on the, on the beside it, what if you do this, you know, and spin this around and, you know, move the Jenga or move the puzzle pieces around and so on and so forth. And Ben's designs are unquestionably gorgeous, quite a bit better looking than what I have today. And, and Ben deeply influenced what's already there. But the, but the thing, the engineering trade-off, even in a design context is how much do I favor beautiful over functional? And I think where Ben and I landed the way it is now is riding the line in a good way between beautiful and functional. It's not astonishingly gorgeous, but I think it's a pretty decent looking app, but it's also a fast app. And it's not, not only in terms of actual performance, but in terms of, you know, I I can find what I need quickly. And I think that's incredibly important for an app like call sheet, which is all about looking things up and then getting out of your way. And so I don't know if I made the best trade-offs there, but that's something that I'm always trying to tweak and make sure I'm doing the best job I possibly can. So we had talked about where you are pulling the info from and you're using the movie database. Mm-hmm. That's right. Is that, is that the one that Plex uses yeah. for its info? Okay. How, I guess, how was it working with that API and pulling data and stuff like that? So extremely great asterisk. Um, <laughs> the, the API is very, very good. It's very well thought out. I, I don't know if I, it's one of those things like as a developer, I think the biggest compliment I can give another developer because most developers are, are selfish jerks. Hello. Uh, but you know, the biggest compliment <laughs> I can give another developer is, wow, I would have written it just like that, which, okay. it, which obviously is, you know, it's there, intuitive. Some, it makes sense. Or, exactly. Like what right. you think it does. Yeah. So there, there, there's some negative reads of it. You gave me the positive read. It's like, exactly. It's intuitive. makes sense. That's the, that things are where I would expect them to be so on and so forth. And, and the movie database API is mostly that. Where it becomes a little tough, though, is that the movie database has very strong opinions about a handful of things, and sometimes that runs in contrast with what either I want or my users want. So a couple of quick examples. When I was working on just yesterday, in a movie, when you're looking at a movie and scrolling through the, the cast or crew of a movie... I wanted to show the ages of all the actors or all the crew members or whatever, and there's no real easy way to do that. There's no, it's not like GraphQL where you can just pluck things out of a schema and say, I want this and I want this and I want that and I want that. You know, the the schema is the schema. And so in order to make that work, what I have to do is as one of these cells is coming up on screen, I have to fire off a network request and get that, that cast member or, or, or crew member's birthday, which is pulling in a, crud load of other data I don't care about, but I need to get that whole object. And then if it scrolls off the screen before I get that response back, then I need to throw away that request and not care. And, you know, that gets to be a fair bit of management that I have to do on my end. And there's no mechanism for me to just say, hey, when you give me the cast or give me the crew, can you throw in that birthday as well? Like there's no mechanism. There's no affordance for that, which is tough. But the good news is, is that the movie database API is so flipping fast that it actually it's mostly doesn't matter. It is phenomenally fast. Uh, my, I've heard rumblings. This is not 
confirmed by anyone at the movie database, but I've heard some rumblings that they're, and, and this is outside of my comfort zone, but they're sitting, like all of their stuff is sitting like at CDNs, you know, and like, I guess it, okay. it, it, not only are the, the, the assets there, but like, I guess a lot of the data is there. And so my limited understanding is this stuff can just happen like darn near right, instantly. Right, right. And I cannot say enough good things about how fast this API is. Mm-hmm. And and generally speaking, it's well designed. It, you know, it, things do make sense. I wish it was a little bit more tweakable in certain ways here or there. Um, another great example right, right, of right. this, and it's a community-driven database, right? So the data isn't always perfect, but it's usually pretty darn good. But another thing right. is they take a hardline stance. Like, I'm not an anime person, but they take a hardline stance that the original voice cast is the only cast that exists. There are no other casts. So you, can't, you can't find the American dub Correct. for that Correct. Miyazaki film. That exactly okay. right. There will be okay. no others. That is all you get. Good day, sir. And that's fine. And I understand it, especially because that data can spider out and make their schema look awful real quick. Right. But that right. that does not delight my users, right? And it's it's right. un- selfishly, it's nice to be able to say, eh, my hands are tied. But unselfishly that's a really crummy response that i have to give my users that look i just i can't get to that data because the data doesn't exist and that's that's tough and there's only a couple of occasions i can't even think of any others off the top of my head but there's a couple of occasions where they take very hard line stances on stuff like that and that's frustrating but ultimately the they're they provide an incredibly robust API that has incredibly fast performance and is really, really good. And their pricing is phenomenally you know, good for me. So I can't okay. complain, but so much. Right. And, and as far as I can tell, it seems like it's reasonably cheap to run. I guess this is, this is me, you know, making some assumptions here, so I might be dead wrong, but from what I've gathered from talking to other people in the community who are using this API, like they've gotten kind of sniffs and hints that it doesn't cost them a lot to run it. So everyone seems to be aligned, you know, for the most part, it's just, there's a couple of things here and there that I, that I wish were a little bit different. When you say aligned, it had flashbacks to the recording I did with Christian. Mm-hmm. So did you look at, I guess, did you look at IMDb? Does IMDb even have an API? I didn't or? think they did, to be honest with you. And then I found okay. out just like a month ago that they actually do. But if memory serves, the pricing is hilarious and not. Yeah, you know, speaking of Christian, not dissimilar from Reddit style pricing. Like, I think it was Reddit's yeah. much worse because who isn't? But or, or, sorry, who's better? <laughs> but or, you know what I mean. I got that all backwards. So you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Reddit is the worst. Is what I'm trying to say. But anyways, the the pricing is not great but i think it is potentially workable but honestly the the point of this app originally was to thumb my nose at imdb and i'm past that at this point like at this point i'm actually really enjoying the 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 experience of using the movie database and while i i was i'm struggling because i don't want to say that i'm collaborating with them because that's not really accurate but there's a developer forum where i've posted questions and things like that and like and the ceo has gotten on because i think they have a very small team i think the team is you know under 10 people possibly under five and their ceo is come on and been like oh yeah i see what you're saying you know can you go and upvote this trello ticket you know or whatever to show me that you're interested in this and so on and so forth and and so it's it's been nice and it's delightful and it's it's the antithesis you know I, i listened to and watched your episode with christian which was great and it's the antithesis of poor christian's experience which is 
too bad because Christian's like 10 times nicer than I'll ever be, but I guess Canadian, <laughs> am I right? But, but no, it's, it's, it's been delightful working with the movie database and I hope that they're around forever, not only for selfish reasons, but like so much of the stuff that I use, you, you had mentioned Plex earlier. Like I'm a, I'm a Plex super fan. In fact, I'm a little surprised I wasn't wearing a Plex shirt today. That would have been my style, but, <laughs> but I'm a Plex super fan. And if the movie database goes away, that like that hurts Plex among many, many other people. I really love this app channels, right. which is like a TV DVR sort of app. They use the okay. movie database, you know? The movie database powers a lot more of the media-related internet than you would expect. And so if they were to go under, there would be much bigger problems than call sheet. And that gives me some amount of solace, but it's still worrisome, especially after Twitter and then Reddit. Well, movie database sounds more like a Wikipedia situation as opposed to like IMDB being more of a corporate um, entity, right? So I would think it would be around until hopefully... God willing, somebody doesn't buy him and screw him over. But, well, yeah. and coincidentally, I found out about three quarters of the way through the de- development of Call Sheet that they do have a corporate overlord, but you will never in a million years guess who it is. Should I? You want me to guess now? Please feel free. Think Microsoft? about a... No, a washed up media company that somehow still exists. AOL. A better hardware company. Gateway. But getting better still... Media hardware. I'll, I'll give you one last shot. Media hardware company, mostly washed up. Nobody cares about it except John Syracuse. It's like Magnavox or something. <laughs> You're getting warmer like... still. TiVo. TiVo owns the movie database, oh, which yeah, I found yeah. that well, out. You said Syracuse. I should have thought of that. Exactly. So Wait, yeah, nobody owns TiVo. TiVo owns TiVo. I didn't. As I far as I know, I might have that wrong, but That's... as far as I know, that is correct. So yeah, so TiVo owns the movie database, which gives me even more worry. But that being <laughs> said, I would think I would think and hope. I'm knocking on wood. You can't really see it, but I would think and hope that if. TiVo went under that the movie database would spin itself out. And, you know, even if pricing had to change or something like that, again, is it open source or any parts of it open source similar to Not to my knowledge. No, I believe it's all closed source, but I think that, you know, the two to 10 people that work there hopefully could reach an agreement with TiVo that they could spin it out, you know, do their own thing. But yeah, 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 I I heard that and I was both somewhat relieved and deeply alarmed all at the same time. (laughs) We shall see. So did you look at other alternatives like Rotten Tomatoes or you have Common Sense Media on here and Metacritic? Yeah. What, what did you end up finding out about those? Can so we... Rot, Rotten Tomatoes obviously has its own problems, as we've heard in yeah. the last yeah, we, month that, or so. Yeah, exactly. Big so that, surprise. That, yeah, exactly right. It's funny because I don't really care for these ratings websites. Like, I don't really want to see anyone else's ratings. I find it to be <laughs> actually a net negative, in my personal opinion. And the only reason I, that I... I would say that about IMDb as well. Like, the ratings on there yep. are kind of, like, garbage. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah, and so for me, like, I didn't even have ratings in the first half of the call sheet beta, but I expanded the beta test to um, members of my other podcast, the Accidental Tech Podcast. So if you are a paid member of ATP, I I would give you a link so you could sign up for the test flight. And then now that the test flight is, or that that stretch of the test flight is done, so they have now all lost their access. That was part of the deal, so on and so forth. Well, anyways, I bring all this up to say I had a lot more testers on this than I had any other app by an order of by several orders of magnitude. And after hearing incessant complaining and moaning about the fact that I didn't have ratings, well, okay. I call them, I call it a score in app because rating to an American, you know, is PG rated R or whatever the case yeah, may be. Yeah, right, right, right. We're saying the same thing. Anyway, so I eventually added it to call sheet because I was just, the, the support burden alone was enough to say, you got to add this. And I did 
but I, I, I hate it, Leo. I hate it so much. And so, <laughs> so anyway, so to answer your question, I've asked for Rotten Tomatoes API access. You know, it's one of those like, oh, our people will call your people, but if you want, you yeah. can put your name in the hat. I did that like two months ago when they've ghosted me since. Common Sense Media, I, I'm going to get these details wrong, but I think it was Common Sense Media that you can get API access, but your API tokens is limited to something like five requests a minute or something like that. It, so in other words, it seems to be designed for you to grab data and then cache it on your end. Cache it. But that is yeah. not at all the way call sheet is designed, and I am not yeah. interested in joining the server business. And so that's right, I, was, non- I was about to say that. Yeah, now you end up having to be uh, running your own server, right. which, yeah. Which, yeah. no, no, thank you. And right. then Metacritic... Or maybe it was Metacritic that's that's this way, and it was Common Sense Media. That's yeah, I, I forget who is who, but I've I've asked. I think it, w- it was Metacritic. I asked for API access, or no, they didn't. Prov- that's what it was. Metacritic doesn't provide an API. Common Sense Media's API usage limits are hilarious, and Rotten Tomatoes just it goes into dev null, and so right, I don't think right. anyone has ever seen it. So so yes, I've looked into these things, and in a perfect world, as much as I hate what I call score, but most people would call rating, as much as I hate it, I would prefer to have what is generally considered to be the best you know available score, which for most people, you know, recent news notwithstanding, that would be Rotten. Rotten Tomatoes, or if not Rotten Tomatoes, then Metacritic, but Metacritic doesn't offer it, and Rotten Tomatoes effectively doesn't offer it. So, what's right. a guy to do? And it's just, it's Web tough. scraping. Well, and I, that thought <laughs> crossed my mind. That thought absolutely I, I crossed my like mind. I feel like I've done that. I did that like 20 years ago in college, just was like playing around with Rotten Tomatoes when it was actually cool. And, like, <laughs> and I, I thought, up, like, part web of, scraping. I, I, I really thought about it, and part of the, a large part of the reason why I didn't do it was that their URLs are not reliable. You know, it's not where it's like, you know, Sounds. such and such. Such, you know, RottenTomatoes.com slash some identifier or RottenTomatoes.com slash the exact movie title. It was very, very not literally random, but seemingly random. And so because of that, I just didn't even want to go down that road because I didn't think it would be reliable. And if it's not reliable, then what's the point? We brought up Wikipedia. Did you look if I, well you ha, you have mentioned in a few releases pulling info from Wikipedia? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well I don't pull it in from Wikipedia, but one of the things, one of the affordances in call sheet is this idea of a quick access link or button, okay. if you will. And so the, what I have it set up for is to jump to trivia, coincidentally on IMDb and a web view, uh, because I I just am a sucker for trivia. I think that's fascinating, but that's mm-hmm. not everyone. Yeah. And so you can choose to have a quick link to Wikipedia, for example, and there's several others i forget what else parental guidance on imdb Uh, what else do i have on there forget what else there is but anyways all of them are always available whenever possible but there's one that's like kind of prominent and wikipedia the wikipedia entry for any given property is one of those things and that was that was actually a perfect example what we were just talking about my initial very ignorant implementation of this was just go to you know wikipedia.org slash whatever whatever slash the title And that was all well and good, but what happens with The Little Mermaid when there's a 1990-whatever version and a 2023 version? And it was because of somebody reached out to me on Mastodon and said, hey, if you go to Wikidata, which is, you know, a a sister project, if you will, of Wikipedia, you can actually make an API request and get the exact correct URL for for a particular property. And I I believe it was the movie database also offers a Wikidata ID. So I go to the movie database and I say, okay, what's the Wikidata oh, ID? Awesome. Then I go to Wikidata and I say, okay, for this given ID, what's the Wikipedia ID? And then I can go to Wikipedia and say, all right, load the Little Mermaid, you know, parenthesis, 1990, whatever parenthesis, rather than the Little Mermaid and just cross my fingers and hope I got yeah. the right one. So, yeah. so that stuff like that, you know, again, 
surprise and delight, you know, both me and my users, you know, now I, now I, I can say, make like, that's the fun stuff of being a developer is being able to plug all that information yeah. and like connect stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was going to ask, so we talked about you, this is all Swift UI. Is mm-hmm. it? Using the Swift UI app lifecycle, it is, or are yeah. you using app delegates? Okay. No, well, there is an app delegate, but it's in, it's implemented using it's a, the Swift a, UI. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that actually didn't even happen. I don't recall what what made me even add an a, an app delegate. Maybe it was URL. You were opening call sheet by URL. That might have been what did yeah, it. But go. I didn't even have it for the longest time because I didn't need it. But yeah, it's Swift. It's all Swift UI, Swift lifecycle, Swift UI lifecycle, and that's been fine to be honest with you. There's been a couple places where because of my internal architecture this just happened to me a couple of weeks ago i forget what i was working on i think it was something making ro- more robust url loading but there were some places where i need oh no you know or maybe it was the quick actions on the home screen icon one way or another okay i needed a piece of data that was over here but you know the app delegates over here and like never the two shall meet and so on and so forth and you know this is when any any swift or, or ios developer would normally reach for like notification center but i'm trying to be a good boy and not just you know punt to notification <laughs> center and i forget what i ended up doing i think i ended up having a singleton for other reasons that i could glom off of and it didn't make me feel like i needed to shower immediately so um <laughs> so i consider that a you personal created your own singleton because you didn't want to use the notification center singleton. I, 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 yeah okay hush <laughs> you know nobody asked you <laughs> no, it's very true. It's very true. But no, I, it, it, generally speaking, SwiftUI has been fine. I mean, I, I think the the early party line that you can't use it in production, I think at that point that was true. I think that's long since been proven not accurate at all. I think it's perfectly fine per, for production. Do you do you feel like do you feel happy with targeting sixteen? I guess for like test flight it would make sense if you want people to actually test it. But like, was there anything where you, when after dub dub you were just like, oh crap, I wish we, we could do this or I could have done yes. that if I targeted seventeen? A hundred percent. It ended up being irrelevant because I changed the information or, or the design. I was going to say information architecture, but the design okay. of call sheet. But early on in call for most of call sheet, the search box was at the top. In a standard you know, system search box, it was completely out of the box, nothing interesting about it, but it was at the top of the screen. And similar to score slash ratings, I was getting browbeat constantly. Oh, can it be at the bottom? Can we please have it at the bottom? Can we please have it at the bottom? And eventually I did move it to the bottom, but now the downside of that is it's all custom. It's not the system search box, which is a little bit of a bummer, okay. but you know, it is what it is. That being said... When it was still at the top, I needed to know, because of the way I architected the app, the visual architecture of the app, I needed to know when the user tapped on and activated the search field, you know, so I could change to show recent searches and so on and so forth. And in Swift UI prior to iOS 17, it was a mountain of really ugly, really gross UI kit code to figure that out, like truly yeah. awful code. That's sort of code that you you really wish you never wrote. And I got a lot of help from my friend Guy Rambo in writing it. And then when once you write it, it's giving you nightmares in the night, right? Well, in Swift in SwiftUI and iOS 17, there is a property where you, you can do, you know, dot searchable and then blah blah blah. And you can provide it okay. a, a binding that it will tell you whether or not it's activated. So it's like all of this goes away immediately. As it turns out, like I said, it all went away because I changed the way I was doing things. But that alone was enough reason for me to almost immediately <laughs> go to iOS 17 just to get rid of all that gross, gross, gross code that I hated writing. And if I still had that code, I, I haven't looked at my numbers recently in terms of 16 versus 17, but yeah, I would probably ask. be moving 
sooner rather than later to to iOS 17 just to get rid of all that. Yeah, I, don't know. I can't imagine your number. Your numbers have had to be pretty high. For Let's see. So I, I'm trying to look right now. I don't have. It's not showing me percentages, but it looks like just off the eye, roughly a third on 16 and a third on 17, and then a third of other stuff. And so okay. that, that's just looking quick off the cuff. I might have that wrong, but based on the, the small amount of analytics I have, that's about what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What made you decide, well, I have to ask, so StoreKit, mm-hmm. uh, you already did, well, it sounds like you already did StoreKit, so that's probably why you stuck well, with that as opposed to going through like a revenue Oh, or something. Huh. If, what, so the bald spot that's been brewing because I'm 41 years old was probably made worse during uh, the StoreKit implementation stuff. Uh, StoreKit okay. 2 StoreKit two is what I'm using. I was using it for um, Masquerade as well. Right. In general, StoreKit 2 is pretty good. Um, the problem I have with StoreKit 2 is that, and I understand why, but it's it's frustratingly, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but it's very minute in the way it it surfaces data. There's no, or at least not that I'm aware of, there's no real good, here's one method to call that gets you the holistic view of the world. And I get why that is, but I wish that was It sounds like the, the opposite of the movie database issue. Kind of, movie yeah. movie database yeah. gives you everything, but now... Apple gives you bits and pieces that you well, have to that's make, the like thing. Several queries, right? And it's and I get it because you know what if what if you have a a active subscription in a family plan, but somehow you also have an active subscription in an individual plan, plus you have a free trial that hasn't quite expired. Like the the permutations that Apple has to deal with are kind of burna- bananas, 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 and and so I get why it's so granular. Is the word I was looking for? I get why it's so granular. But from a from a from a user of that API's perspective, so as a, from a developer's perspective, that's that's leveraging these APIs, kind of stinks. Like, I just yeah. tell me what's the state of the world. Like, do they or right. do they not have paid not. access to the app? That's all I care about, and that doesn't really yes. exist. Yes. And my understanding is that, and I haven't really looked into Revenue Cat much, but my understanding of Revenue Cat is that it does a much better job of giving you that holistic state of the world. And there was a time, not too long before launch that I was like this far away from saying, I'm going to rip this all out and go to Revenue Cat because I just can't yeah. with this anymore. I didn't end up going with Revenue Cat partially because I'm cheap and I didn't want to give them any of my money, which isn't to say that it's not deserved. They deserve my money right. if I were to use it. I just <laughs> didn't want to give it to them. And so that, that that's, and, and their pricing, as much as I'm joking about, their pricing is actually extremely generous for someone like me. Right. It's not, I don't know if it's quite as generous for like an Amazon, if you will, but for somebody at my level, it's very, very generous. I'm not even sure that I would have needed to pay them money, but Again, like I think I've spent too much time with Marco Arment and in and, and, and Apple ecosystem in general. And if I can own the whole widget, I'll own the whole damn widget. And so I wrote it all for myself. And in the grand scheme of things, like I'm glad I did. I think from what I can tell, it works pretty well. Ask me again in a year when renewals start happening. But yeah, <laughs> as right. far as I can tell, it's working well. But it was a slog. And I think it was a slog because I didn't in no small part because I didn't have my own expectations set appropriately in that it's up to me to micromanage all of these different moving parts. And I can't just go to Apple, like I keep saying, and say, are they, are they registered, are they paid, or are they not? That doesn't really exist. Did you did you try using any of the user testing stuff for subscriptions at all? Or I did. I tried using the unit testing stuff, which is not exactly what you asked. I tried using the unit testing stuff, and that went okay. 
I forget what it was that caused problems, but it seemed like it was only half-baked. Very well could be user issue on my end. Very, very well okay. could be. That being said, the store kit to testing where you can create a set of products in your Xcode project and okay. tweak those and, and so on and so forth, that is just chef's kiss, it- like wonderful. Okay. I, I'm jumping into StoreKit 2 with my Mac app. And mm-hmm. like, so I'm just kind of curious how that experience is. And like, yeah, I'm worried about, you said all the edge cases of like mm-hmm. trials and family subscriptions and all that stuff. Yeah, it so. gets, it gets gross quick. I mean, it's, it is surmountable, but it gets gross. And actually like a super top secret, just the two of us, nobody else is listening. Right. If you go, if you open Safari, no, it's I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, if, okay. you go to, <laughs> if you go to call sheet or if you, excuse me, if you go to Safari and do call sheet colon slash slash subs, S U B S, it will open up a read only view that shows my view of the world. So like if I ever have an issue where someone's like, dude, I've paid for this. Why is it not registering? You know, that I paid for it. Then you can go to call sheet colon slash slash subs and it'll show, you know, for all of the different products I have, here's what StoreKit 2 is telling me. Like, you know, you're registered, you're not registered, you never oh. purchased, and so on and so forth. And for the and, person, it's the person who's logged into that right, phone? Right, right, right. Oh, on, nice. they, on your own phone. So if you're a call sheet oh, you know, awesome. user, you can try this out just for grins and giggles and see see what see what StoreKit is telling me. Like a debug me. view. I love that. Exactly. And this was an idea of my dear friend, Jelly, who writes the wonderful app, Gifwrapped. Jelly did something similar. I forget where you find it in his app. I don't think it's a secret, but it's hidden somewhere. Well, anyways, okay. but he he had suggested to me you should do this. And I was like, no, I don't. Oh, that's Okay, fine. I think I should. And so I haven't actually needed it yet. Knock on wood once again, but I'm really, really glad it's there. So if there's a problem, at least I have some amount of view, you know, because I could have a person screenshot it. And I believe actually, if memory serves, you can also like copy a really crummy text-based view or maybe it's an image view of what everything is so that they could send that to me in like an email or whatever. It's, it's hideous, but it doesn't matter. It's just something to give me a tool to help my users if they need that help. So makes total sense. All right. So we talked about giving revenue cat a cut and Mm -hmm. app store a little bit. Let's talk about the fun you had with getting this too soon. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, it Uh, was, it was, it was an adventure for sure. You want to kind of, I mean, I, I heard the story on ATP, but mm-hmm. I'll let you go ahead and, and explain it. For yeah. So, heard. so I sent the app to app review shortly before I was going on a week long vacation and I did that. I, the app was ready, but I was a couple of weeks before when I wanted to launch. But my theory was, you know, I'm coming up on vacation Knowing me, all I'm going to think about is work during this entire vacation, um, unless I can get this through app review. If I can get it through app review once, generally speaking, knock on wood, generally speaking, once you get it through once, you know, short of something very unusual, it'll continue to get approved. Maybe you'll have an issue here or there. But generally speaking, once you get over that first big hurdle, then you're okay. So I thought, okay, this the week before I go, I'm going to send it to app review. They'll approve it. And then I'll be on vacation and know that even if nothing else happens, I have a version that I could release to the app store when I'm back home. I released to the app store and they, they looked at it overnight Eastern time and they sent me a screenshot. I'm gosh, I should call up app store connect to make sure I'm telling the story. Right. But the general gist of it was a sent a screenshot saying, well, you have media playback in this app and that's not allowed because you don't have rights to the things you're playing. Okay. And they sent me a screenshot of some anime show where I don't think there was even a play button on screen, but it was showing a list of like episodes. And that was their justification for the fact that they could play media on this app. And I'm like, mm, 
No, you can't even play a freaking trailer in the app. What are you talking about? Of course, I said this in a very polite and kind way, but you know, I was like, what, what are you talking about? That's not, that's not a thing. And so I feel like there was one other thing that they complained about. And then they said, well, okay, you can't use any Disney or Marvel or any, you know, media in any of this app, especially your app store screenshots. Like they sent me my own app store screenshots as justification for this. And I'm like, what the hell do I do with this? There's so many apps in the app store that are clearly using Disney, Marvel, Pixar, all these different pieces of media, you know, posters and images and whatnot. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? And so I sent them a response via App Store Connect. And I was like, look, what? And again, in a very polite way, what? <laughs> like, how is this a thing? You know, I, I can't, this app isn't possible without, I mean, I guess strictly speaking it is, but it is effectively is impossible without using the media from, or without using the images from all these things. What do you expect me to do? And like, look, like Letterboxd, which is, you know, I've spoken with their developers a couple of times. They seem like incredibly kind and wonderful people. Letterboxd, the very first screenshot on your app store for the Letterboxd app was like Infinity War or something like that. I forget what it was. <laughs> like, are you serious with this? And so we go back and forth a couple of times and I'm getting nowhere. And again, I'm being polite, although I'm getting uh, clearly my fuse is running out of fuse. Oh, and so I said, you know, yeah. and the, these interactions were happening in near real time as close as app store connect can get to real time. So I think to myself, all right, here's what you do. I sent them a message and said, Hey, why don't you give me a call? Let's just hash this out verbally. We'll take care of it. I'm sure it'll be fine. You know, here, my number is, you know, eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And just give me a call and we'll talk about it. And I thought, since we're going back and forth constantly about this, I'll get a call in the next 10 minutes. This was like the Wednesday or Thursday before I leave for the beach. They send a response back fairly quickly that says, sure, we'll love to call, we would love to call you. We'll talk to you sometime in the next three to five business days. What? No, we were just talking. Like, <laughs> no, call me now. <sighs> so we go to the beach. I think it was Monday or Tuesday. I want to say it was Monday. And I get a call. I get, actually, I missed a call from from Apple and and this, this very kind gentleman who's I believe his name was Richard leaves me a message and says hey why don't you call me back and left a phone number which was critical nice. because you a don't get that's line. worth that's worth its weight in gold but right, so right, Richard right. calls me leaves a message said call me back I missed the call and then as I'm like figuring out I'm saying to my wife Aaron I'm like oh my god oh my god ah, 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 what do I do and then my phone rings and it's him again we get on the phone. I'm like, look, I, 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 I was like panting. And I'm not just because I walked a few yards away from everything else and all the noise in the beach, but I'm panting because I'm like, my heart is racing. I should have in retrospect looked at my watch to see if it read a heart rate because my heart, heart must have been going like 160 <laughs> beats a minute or something. I'm like, I'm, I'm standing still and I'm like, well, <laughs> well, here's the, <laughs> and I was just, just a lunatic on the phone and not, not in a nasty way in a, like, I just, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, way. Nervous. It's yeah. so nervous beyond nervous. It, it was, I mean, it's like asking a girl out for the first time, kind of nervous. And so anyway, <laughs> and so uh, this this very calm, very level headed guy, Richard, says in so many words, we've taken a look. You're absolutely right. There's no problems. I'm going to hit go. You're good to go. At which point I basically fainted onto the sand and said, thank you so much. Oh, my God, I love you. you know? And So <laughs> it ended up that once I got to someone with some amount of authority, it seemed like it all went away lickety split and i haven't yet had an issue since meanwhile well so but meanwhile i had heard reports from atp listeners and from other developers who are you know who watch what i say on, on, on mastodon whatever and a lot of other people have said look i've gotten similar rejections what you got to do is 
if you put a little blurb, you know, in, in App Store Connect, there's a little section where you can write like notes to the reviewers. And you yeah, can put yeah. in a little blurb that says, look, I have rights to this stuff because of the movie databases, APIs, terms of use and terms of service and so on and so forth. Because basically the movie database says, look, if you're uploading something, you have to have the rights to upload it because we are not claiming those rights, so on and so forth. And so oh, I think it's one of those okay. things where Apple just wants to be able to point to somebody else. If if Disney comes to Apple and says this is BS, Apple wants to be able to say that's not us. It's them. It's them. And for at first that was me. And now I can say, no, no, no. Don't worry about it. It's not me. It's It's over there. I can say, yeah, it's them. And so that seems to be enough from what I can tell to keep Apple satisfied. But it was a stressful week or so or, you know, handful of days because here it is. I've worked, you know, something like six months on this app, which maybe that was too much. Maybe I'm just not a fast developer. I don't know. But I, I worked hard on it one way or another. I worked hard on it. And this is right. six months of my life. <clears throat> and now it's hanging in the balance as to whether or not, you know, Mickey Mouse is going to be upset about what I've put in this app. And and it worked out OK. But, oh, I, I, I have I, it was it was some trauma while it was going on. I tell you what. Yeah, and it's also like, I mean, I think it's a little microcosm of what other developers have run into of mm-hmm. just like, oh, we had the wrong reviewer who didn't know what was yep. going on. Like the stuff about playing, like the fact that you don't support streaming or do support yeah, streaming, right, right. like they were confused about that. And it's just like, that. I, I felt like it was a perfect little like anecdote that every mm-hmm. developer has gone through where it's just like, luckily you ran into Richard and I think we've all ran into our Richards once mm-hmm. in a while when we've had calls from app store, but like, yeah, I, I can imagine how stressful that is. It was, it was awful. And I mean, in the grand scheme of things, if this was my stress for the year, I'm sitting pretty, but in the heat of the moment, man, it was, it was rough. And, and it, again, it ended up fine. And once I got, once I got through to Richard, it, it was fine. And actually to, to Richard's credit, you know, he said, you have my number, if you run into issues in the future, you know, feel free to call and we'll work it out, which at this point I was ready to marry him. It's, <laughs> but anyway, so it, it, I think it will be fine in the future, but it's just tough because this isn't my entire livelihood, but it's a large portion of it. And it was hanging in the balance because one or two people who didn't really understand, or maybe, maybe it was me that didn't understand one way or another, a couple of people didn't understand what the state of the world was, was, is, or should be. And maybe the six months of my life would have been down the drain and I, and I would have had nothing for, to show for it. And that's, that's tough. And while I don't know that I'm necessarily on team side loading when it comes to iPhones and stuff like that, it's hard, it's hard to simultaneously accept that there is one gatekeeper to get your, your work onto these devices. That's a tough pill to swallow. And I don't know what the right answer is. Yeah. And just like, I, I don't have a problem with the cuts. I don't have a problem with the 30% cut. I don't have a problem with a lot of things, but like the whole flakiness of mm-hmm. app review, I feel like as a, as a system that's supposed to set up to protect users, like yep. sometimes it doesn't even do a good job with that where yep. it allows crappy scammy apps. in. it's just, yeah, I feel like there needs to be more done on, on that front. Like unless, Unless you're just going to go to side loading, it's just a crappy experience for developers and users sometimes. Hundred percent agree. Anything else you want to talk about that specifically? With regard to app review, no. I mean, it 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 did work out, (laughs) and I mean, I I feel like this is one of those things that within a few days of it being over, I was able to laugh about it. But heat of the moment, it was not fun. 
it's a it's a good lesson learned, I guess. It is. Like, it is. Now you know. If you ever run into this again, you won't have a heart attack. Yeah. So. Well, I will still have a heart attack, but hopefully, it will be. I will recover from it quicker. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about some of the features you're really proud of. Yeah. Launch time. Yeah, I mean, it, you want to explain that? Yeah. So in the show notes, I had put in two different sections, like launch time and since. And what I mean by that is, you know, okay, at the time okay. at which I L- launched, when you launched the app, sorry. yeah. I mean, I think the launch time is also that was ambiguous of me. I think the launch time is pretty good. <laughs> but what I meant by that is, you know, what, what did I have at launch time? And, and you had put in, and I'm, and I'm very happy that you did. You know, accessibility. You know, I took a spin with voiceover and tried to make it as good as I could. And then right around the time that I was getting to polish on the app. That's when WWDC was in early June. And so I spent some time with some accessibility engineers and, ha- and the, they're happy to go through your app and tell you, you know, here's some things yeah. you can fix. Here's some quick wins you can have and so on and so forth. And that there wasn't that many action items that came from those discussions. I mean, they're only like half an hour long, but the action items that came from them made the voiceover experience so much better. So a silly example yeah. of this. Yeah. Those um, sessions are awesome. They're incredible. I cannot recommend them enough. A silly example of this is I'll show like, you know, score and then a percentage on screen. And I didn't realize that in voiceover, it, there, there, there are two different Swift UI elements. And so it would read like score and then just sit there and then you'd have to swipe, you know, 73%. And they said, and I forget the, the property or the, the thing you have to flip off the top of my head, but they said, basically, you can treat this as one item. And so when voiceover hits it, it'll say score 73%. And mm-hmm. something silly like that makes a world of difference for voiceover users. And so yeah. I was really yeah. happy with that. And I've had some voiceover users say, you know, look, it's not perfect, but this is, especially for version one, it's really, really good. And you did a really good job. And that makes me incredibly happy because, you know, as, as, as has been often said, and there's a really good Microsoft graphic about this that I was reminded of in the last couple of days, everyone either does or will use accessibility at some point. And maybe it's something like you have a broken arm, so you have a temporary accessibility problem. Or maybe it's something that, you know, your eyes have just been dilated, so you need to crank your font up to a 1,000% just for a little while. Even if you don't have a permanent need for accessibility affordances, almost everyone will use them from time to time. And so for it to be good makes me very happy. We talked about spoiler avoidance that that launched or that was at launch time. I'm I still remain really, really proud of that. I think it's a really clever thing. And it wouldn't surprise me entirely if like IMDb or something like that or someone like that apes it, which in the grand scheme of things, that's that's a compliment, right? Like if they ape it, mm-hmm. then that, that's OK, I guess. And I'm really proud of that. And the speed of the app, you know, we talked about that a little bit with regard to my ambiguous launch time, but and also with the API, like. The app is fast. As long as your internet connection is at least decent, the app is real fast. I'm really, really happy about that. And then for stuff that's happened since, my first big project since launching was getting integration with the aforementioned channels and Plex. Channels, again, is like a software-based DVR that you can run on your network. And I actually know one of the guys that's one of the founders. He's local here in Richmond. Even leaving that aside, it's a phenomenal app. If you're a weirdo that still wants cable but doesn't want a cable box, hello, it's me. (laughs) And and there's other uses for it as well, don't get me wrong, but that's what I use it for. And Channels is phenomenal, and and it was really fun working with the, the guy's name is John Maddox, working with John in getting integration between the two apps. And especially as an indie developer, it's very unusual to have that kind of collaboration with anyone. Mm -hmm. And between the stuff with Ben that we talked about earlier and and the stuff with John, it was incredibly fun to get the channels integration squared away. And that is pretty robust and works pretty well. And I'm pretty, pretty darn proud of that. The Plex integration, I use Plex even more than I use channels. I adore Plex. It's my jam. 
The Plex integration is very rickety and for very complicated reasons that if you have 40 hours, I'm happy to talk you through. But suffice it to say, it's just a very old technology that Plex uses to do these sorts of things. And it and it's just uh, it's very rickety. And so ch- the Plex integration, when it works, is just magic. It's incredible. Same with channels is magic. And it makes me incredibly happy because what happens is on screen, it'll say now playing, you know, Letterkenny or whatever the case may be. And, it, and if possible, it'll even jump you to like, you know, Letterkenny Daybeer's Day. And it'll jump you to the exact episode that, that you're that you're watching. And it's just incredible surprise and delight. But so this is you can play the show you're you want to watch through call. She is. That what no, you're no, no. I'm sorry. So, no, no. That, 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 thank you for asking. So what I mean is you're sitting on the couch. The Apple TV is playing Letterkenny or whatever the case may be on play or on channels okay, and, and okay. call sheet will reach out to channels or plex or whatever and say hey what are you playing right now and and the oh. apple tv will report back oh i'm okay. playing letter kenny Debeer's day and so you know it's the it's the perfect couch moment you know or couch instant That's as john awesome. calls it again channels integration is pretty robust works pretty well plex integration i've called experimental because honestly there's not a lot more i can do with it that i'm aware of but it's very okay. very rickety and so i consider the plex i've always stuff, been like interested in playing around with plex and the plex api i use plex as well mm-hmm. um so it's it's unfortunate that it is rickety um in the defense of plex it is. it's i mean plex started in like the late 90s as xbox media center you know so it's right, got right. a long lineage and basically what the, what plex did is they created their own zero config zero conf you know zero configuration like bonjour basically they made their own like version of bonjour before bonjour was a thing whereas channels having been made in the last 5 or 10 years has the advantage of just using bonjour and so who to thunk it but this apple created technology called bonjour has incredibly good support in swift apis whereas you know doing raw bsd socket work in which is what i you know well I used a third-party library, but effectively, you you, know, you need to do raw sockets to do the same thing with Plex. That's um, less robust and a lot less fun. But in the defense yeah, of Plex, okay. I mean, it's because this stuff was written 20 years, literally 20 years ago, and they haven't had to mess with it since. So what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. Makes total sense. Total sense. Yeah. Um, go back. You were talking about spoiler avoidance. Are you do, Are you good on time? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. On spoiler avoidance, I wanted to jump in and talk about using the redact- that's a the redacted view modifier. Mm-hmm. How was that? It was it was fine. Basically, I wrote a a custom I think it's a view modifier, right? A custom view modifier that that lets me that I call conditionally redacted, and so basically it's you know dot conditionally redacted if. And then you provide a Boolean that says, you know, either you need to redact it or you don't or, you know, or a, or okay. a or an inline function that that figures it out. And it'll, I think right, it's auto right, clo- right. There's, there's an auto closure there if memory serves that it will evaluate it and so on and so forth. You can pass in a Boolean and then it doesn't, exactly. it doesn't do it based on whether the user wants it. Yep. Yeah. OK. But under the hood, all it's doing is it's dropping a dot redacted, you know, reason placeholder or whatever the case may be. And, yeah, that's all the the out of the box with UI redaction stuff. OK, cool. What? So what do you have uh, planned in the future? I can't tell you. No. So I, <laughs> I have some new stuff, some old stuff. Like I should actually look how many GitHub issues I have. There's a well, zillion, but let's, let's see. Let's talk about like just iPad support. 
Yeah. Start looking into that. Yeah, that's going to happen sooner rather than later. So I, for what it's worth, I have okay. 45 open GitHub issues. Now, now, when I say issues, I don't necessarily mean like problems. A lot of these are like enhancements and so on and features. so forth. Yeah. Features. 163 closed. So I got that going for me. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> but yeah, so I have a lot that I'm noodling with. It's, it's tough to figure out what the right answer is. Like clearly the rightest thing to do. And I've been kicking the can down the road because I don't, I don't, I don't know the best way to go about it, but the, as you said, I better iPad support, like call sheet works on the iPad, but it's, it's not well laid out. There's a really inefficient use of space and I need to do better about making iPad a first class citizen. And a great example of this is, as we talked about earlier, this quick access link thing where you can jump to trivia or jump to Wikipedia, or whatever the way that works on iPhone is there's the one icon that's your like favorite. And then a button that says like more links. I forget what I have it say now. And okay. if you hit that more button or whatever the case may be, links button, it'll drop down or pop up a menu that says, okay, well, you know, here's trivia, but you can do Wikipedia, parental guidance, you know, technical information, so on and so forth. Well, on iPad, I have the width that I can just split out all of those, you know, that line of icons and just have them all immediately available. That's a silly example of something that I need to do that I just haven't done yet. Uh, but it, broadly, you know, better iPad support so that it works a lot better on iPad. And then I promised a bunch of people who have asked me, once iPad support is better, I'll flip the switch on, what is it, continuity? No, not continuity. What am I thinking of? Oops. Catalyst, thank you. I'll, swip, I'll flip the switch on Catalyst so that you can use it on the Mac as well. It's just right now... I don't love the way it is on iPad and I don't love, thus I don't love the way it is on the Mac. And once the iPad isn't embarrassing, then I'll, I'll, I'll flip the switch for catalyst. And so you can support. Yeah, that makes total so it'll, so it'll do you support like rotations and stuff for like, if you want to do split mm. view on an eye, like not split, uh, you know, I don't know if I, where you can yeah, yeah, yeah. side I, by. I think that does work. If memory serves, you can tell how often I run the iPad app. If memory serves, uh, you can do totally. slide over and all that jazz, but I haven't looked at that in a while, to be honest. And, and I do need to get on that. Um, I'm trying to grab all the things that users are complaining about, which isn't that much. I say, and I say that as though it's a bad thing. Like the fact that your users are telling you, can you fix this? I don't like that or whatever. That's a compliment. Like even if it's a yeah, complaint, it's, just, it's still a compliment. Yeah. So they love it enough to tell you. Exactly. So I'm trying to get through yeah. some of that stuff. And I think I've got most of it at this point. So I just got to, I got to go through my GitHub issues list. Uh, I just shipped a test flight up beta yesterday. I got a couple other things in flight with regard to URL handling. So we were talking about channels earlier and channels. If it detects that you have call sheet installed, will offer to open things in call sheet. But because of some oddities with the way channels, well, I shouldn't say oddities, because of some choices that channels makes, which are perfectly reasonable for them, they don't always have a movie database ID to give me, especially for like a particular episode of a TV show. So, so when they kick over to call sheet, they might say, hey, this user is watching Letterkenny season eight, episode seven, but they don't give me any identifiers that I can use to make an API call. Well, okay. so what I need to do, one of the things I want to do is start caching the fact that the, the user was watching, what did I say, season eight, episode seven, and kind of put that aside for a minute and go and figure out, let the user search for Letterkenny, figure out, you know, which is the correct episode or the correct show. And then once they do, I can bring that data back and jump them directly to the right, the right episode of Letterkenny or, you know, whatever the case may be. Once, once mm -hmm. they've established, this is the thing I'm looking for. So I need to work on that. Um, 
But other than that, there's there's a couple of other things that I'm contemplating that I think could be really fun. I do have a dog. I I don't think I've lost sight of reality like an average dog owner. You know, the dog the dog is a dog, and and I love her very much. But you know, she she's just a dog. But I know a lot of people are very sensitive about their dogs. And there's a website. Does the dog die? I think it's dot com. And uh. and they do have an API. And so one of my tasks that I want to look into is, is it easy enough that I could integrate with does the dog die? And maybe it would be opt in, but you could tell, you know, oh, if you're sensitive to these sorts of things, maybe steer clear of, you know, this particular movie, you know, or whatever the case may be. So that's a silly example of something that I think could be fun, both for me and for my users, but uh, no promises. We'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever think, uh, this is one of the things we had in the notes, but like, do you think Apple could ever support something to where an app could integrate as you watch a video or a movie app where you could do something like Amazon X-Ray no. or Amazon Prime X-Ray? They could, but they like, won't. That would be awesome. It would. And, you know, a lot of people have asked me, well, wait, you know, I see that you've got this Plex and Channels integration, but... I don't always or maybe ever use Plex or channels. I use the Apple TV app or whatever the case may be. You know, I only ever watch Mm -hmm. Apple TV stuff or maybe I only ever watch YouTube. And shouldn't there be an API where Apple just tells you this is what the person's watching? It doesn't matter what freaking app they're using. Right, right. And my selfish answer is yes. Yes, there should be that API. And I guess like, you know, the home automation people have reached out and Home Assistant is this like very, very nerdy home automation app that allegedly will let you do this sort of thing. And I started spelunking through their source code. And first of all, I think most of it's Python, which I'm okay at, but I'm not great (laughs) at. Second of all, like the way they they go about discovering this is extremely convoluted. Third of all, I think you need to like pair Home Assistant with your Apple TV and like that is not the way it works with channels and Plex integration right now. Like it just, it works. If it's there, it works. And so like in a lot of ways, this is like the holy grail for call sheet, but it would also be kind of ugly too. So I don't know if it's the right answer, but- It'd be a lot of maintain, maintain Yeah, it's so much support burden. Like it's just, I I don't know if that juice is worth the squeeze, but- Right. You know, why Why doesn't Apple just provide an API for this? And then I was talking to somebody, I can't remember who it was, and they pointed out, well, because that's that's deeply privacy invasive. And I'm like, what, what, what are you talking about? And they said, well, what if Facebook knew all the things you watched on your television? Does that seem mm, good? Okay. And then it was like, okay, light bulb. Yep, the Apple will never provide this information, never in a million years, because the, the tools of the world, the jerks of the world, will use this to do terrible and gross things and I just don't see Apple allowing it. Now, of course, the, the for me, what I would say is, well, can we opt into it? Could a user opt in to sharing their data with call sheet or whatever the case may yeah, be? Yeah, like and you're maybe, sharing your location. Yeah, or whatever, or what exactly, like your location or what have you. Call sheet doesn't care about your location, but you know, you know what I mean? So it's, it's like right, you said, right. things along Same those idea. lines. Same idea. And, and maybe, I still don't think they would do it, but maybe. How about the other way where like we, we've had a few guests on who do music apps, right? Where it's like, oh, you can tap into music kit. Mm-hmm. and show album art or show right. metadata attached to the music you're listening right. to. So like basically you have a video player that has access to Apple TV plus or something. Yeah. I mean, one could dream and I, I hope so. One could dream. Yeah, I, mean, I don't, I don't expect it to happen in a million years, but, but no, I, I think, I think there are ways in which I can do everything in my power to try to put that information front and center for my users. You know, I haven't looked into YouTube integration as an example, but it may be possible to do that sort of thing. Of course, at that point, I'm probably adopting the Chromecast APIs, which make me feel super gross. And so, that, again, yeah. that juice may not be worth the squeeze, but it's yep. worth looking yep. into. 
Was there anything else from Dub Dub this year as far as like behind the scenes mm -hmm. things like Swift Data or observation or any of that stuff that uh, like oh i wish we could do well swift data maybe no not for me because i don't really store that much but little i do store okay. i store in CloudKit, and oh, i'm fairly oh, interesting i have a fairly okay. thin wrapper api that i put in front of CloudKit that i'm actually really proud of that makes it pretty darn straightforward to drop data or pull into or pull data out of CloudKit. so i don't really need swift data because there's just not that much you know it's your favorites yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your, your pins your spoiler settings and stuff like that with regard to observation i like the api in principle but i've heard that there's a lot of gotchas that if you're mm -hmm. not following, this is very, very much in the, the spirit of Swift UI. If you're not following the happy path, I understand that it gets pretty ugly pretty quick. And yep. since what I have is already working and doesn't really cause me any problems, I'm extremely reluctant to switch it up to the new hotness so just for funsies. That being said, one of my near-term goals probably in the next week or so is I really, really want to investigate and probably use TipKit. Um, TipKit is this new thing where, you know, you can pop up, pop up overlays at, at convenient times for the user and say, Hey, you know, if you tap here, it'll do such and such. And so coming back to my conversation, you know, I keep wanting to surprise and delight. If you're looking at a movie and it shows the runtime and say it's an hour and 30 minutes or whatever, if you tap the, 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 the text that says an hour and 30 minutes, it'll show a popover that says ends at, you know, 90 minutes from now. So if it's, if it's noon and you tap that popover for a movie that's 90 minutes long, it says ends at one thirty. And so the idea here is if you're looking at this movie and saying, oh, do I have the time to watch this before bed or before I have to pick up my kid from school or whatever the case may be, you can just tap that button. It'll say, oh, it ends at 1.30 and you know whether or not you have the time to watch it. Well, that's not particularly discoverable, right? Like you have to know mm -hmm. that this thing that doesn't even look like a button is tappable. And so TipKit, in theory, having not actually used it yet, would be a really great way to have a little popover that says, hey, if you want, you can, you can tap on this and it'll show you some extra data, you know, or whatever the case may be. And so I'm really really looking forward to digging into that and hopefully playing with it and seeing if I can get some good, good mileage out of it. Yeah, that makes total sense. Any plans for offline, some sort of offline access or what does that app do when you're offline? It Sorry, basically says to tough. Ask. No, it's, it's a fair question. It basically says tough noogies. Try again. Okay. I, I feel like it's, it's a completely fair question. I don't know that there's a need for it. Like if you're, if you're watching something on a plane and you can't access call sheet, like I don't think that's that critical. Like the advantage of call yeah, sheet no. is it's not flighty. You know, if you don't have an update on who that actor is, it'll be okay. You know what I mean? It's not a, it's not a time critical <laughs> mission, critical sort of thing. I could be convinced I'm wrong about that, but I don't, I'm not too worked up about it or too worried about it. So I think it'd be, yeah. it would be a fascinating engineering challenge. Like what is the right way to figure, well, how do you figure out what data to capture? What's the right way to yeah, capture right. it? How do you store it? How do you keep it efficient? How do you not explode the, the app to be, you know, 700 megs worth of random photos that you never look at again? Like again, from an engineering <laughs> perspective, it's a fascinating challenge, but I just don't, think that that's a challenge i necessarily have at this time yep makes total sense before we close out we had one question yeah. on mastodon mm -hmm. that i wanted to answer and i think we both have a c-sharp background yeah. from a hundred years ago <laughs> did you did you ever look at xamarin or whatever the heck they call it yeah, yeah yeah i did what was it called it was mono something at the time i forget what it was called at the time but it was called mono and then it was called Xamarin, and then they renamed it again recently. Oh, did they? I did not know that. When I looked at... I'm so out of the loop, so... Yeah, same. Uh, yeah. So I haven't been a .NET developer since 2016, is that right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's right. Same here. And so anyways, I, I love .NET. I really did. C-sharp at the time anyway, and as far as I know, it's still the case. C-sharp was a phenomenal language. Uh, you had brief mention in the show notes about Combine. Combine is, if you if you ask me, is Apple's take on Rx. And Rx, I believe, mm-hmm. was born or was at least popularized in C-sharp, as far as I'm aware. So, yeah. so anyways... I love C Sharp. I loved .NET. I didn't love Windows, and I didn't love a lot of the Microsoft other things. Uh, Visual Studio was yep. also great. Um, but at the time when Xamarin was new, I had looked at it and thought, it's similarly as we spoke about before, if I were to do it, this is how it would look. And then when they did, I think when they first offered mobile support, I had also looked at it and again thought, okay, like this isn't necessarily what I would want in terms of I'd rather use, you know, the Objective-C APIs and whatnot. But if you're going to suck Objective-C, which is very different than, you know, C-sharp, if you're going to suck that into Mm -hmm. C-sharp, it's a pretty good way to do it. It makes a lot of sense, so on and so forth. I haven't looked at it since then, and this would have been, you know, like iOS 3 or 4 or something like that. So it's just not, leaving aside the fact that, I I don't really know C sharp anymore. Like that that muscle is long since atrophied. Atrophy, e- yes. Even even leaving that aside, I find that having that middle layer between you and the platform vendor, I find that to be fairly distasteful, and yes. and and it it makes you beholden to even more people. In the same way, I didn't want to be beholden to Revenue Cat for stuff that would actually arguably make my life way better. I don't want to be beholden to, to Microsoft or whoever owns Xamarin this minute to, to have to do their updates before I can accept, like before I can embrace Tipkit as an example. And maybe they're super fast. Like I, I, I am casually acquainted with a guy who last I heard was working on Xamarin, I think more on the Android side than iOS, but and he's incredibly okay. bright, incredibly nice. Some, he lives somewhere around Richmond. It's not that the people are bad. It's not that the project is necessarily bad. It's just it doesn't solve a need that I have in my life. And so I haven't really looked at it now. Yeah, so it's funny because when I started doing iOS development, it was back during Objective-C and mm-hmm. like I had to do retain and release. Oh, yeah, same. It yeah. Felt- it felt so Archaic. backwards. Yep. Like, other than the fact that the iPad is an awesome device, I felt like, and I had been doing Silverlight, so oh, I was doing MVP. Wow, you're one of those. And, wow. Yes, yes. And it felt so backwards. Yep. Now, in like 2023 with Swift, and I mean, I still think like there's there's nothing you gain from, from going to Xamarin, unless you're like. What it ends up being is you're some massive company where you have a ton of .NET developers yep. and you need an internal app. Yep. Otherwise, like there really is no no real need to go to Xamarin. I, I yeah. just don't see the reason for it. I, I completely agree. And I mean, obviously, everything is an engineering trade-off, right? We've talked about that a few times this, this episode. Yeah. And, and I think there are engineering scenarios or situations where it does make sense. But I think generally speaking... Even if you're an indie, like even if you're an indie who knows C sharp up down inside out, so on and so forth, you're you've still got this entire API surface that is Cocoa Touch that you need to learn and potentially Swift UI or UI Kit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like those are incredibly broad and deep API surfaces that you're going to need to conquer one way or the other. So why not just conquer it in a first class language? That one of the things I love about Swift is when it, Swift is kind of like a Rorschach test where it looks like whatever you want it to look like. Like as a C sharp yeah. person, it looked like mm-hmm. C sharp objective C developers. 
well, a lot of them are very, well, were very cranky. Most of them have come around at this point. But, but you know, if you're an Objective-C developer and you're not too cranky, you will look at it and say, oh, I see the Objective-C here. And I've understood that like Rust and Python people and, and Scala people can look at it and be like, oh, yep, I see that. Right, and, right. and so Swift has its problems for sure and has gotten extremely complicated over the last couple of years. I think almost woefully so. But that being said, it is still a great language. It still does at least try to have progressive disclosure. So you don't need to be a language expert in order to get things done. Again, right, I think that's right. getting tougher now. But generally speaking, it's true. So it's it's a really great language that's fun to work with. And there's not that much boilerplate that gets in the way. In fact, one of the things I love most about Swift is that they're always trying to remove boilerplate, you know, the observation stuff and like, ha what is it? Hash preview. I mean, macro you know. is yeah, all that, about yeah. removing boilerplate. Exactly. That's like, that's it. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. So uh, there, the, even though Swift can be daunting, it's, it doesn't often feel like busy work. Whereas so much of like raw UI kit felt like busy work. A lot of objective C, although I did like objective C quite a bit, a lot of it felt like busy work and it's, uncommon yeah. for me anyway to find swift feeling like busy work i can fight swift i certainly do fight swift somewhat often but it no it's almost never that it feels like i'm just doing something because i have to not because i want to you know what i mean uh, that's yeah. it's a thin distinction but it's an important one it's by the way it's called dotnet maui is the are you serious yeah yeah <laughs> bad timing oh so... true very true <laughs> I was going to say, like, one of my first contracts was as an iOS developer was working with a company that they wanted to build their business layer in Xamarin so mm -hmm. that they can share it with Android and .NET. Yeah, that makes sense. And then they brought me they brought me on as the storyboard Objective-C expert. And mm -hmm. It worked. It worked fine. Fair enough. So, yeah. But they're, they're a massive company. with It was like an internal app, so it makes total sense. I agree. I agree. Anything else, Casey? I think we covered it. No, I appreciate all your time. You know, you, we had talked before the show that you wanted to keep it to like somewhere around 45 minutes. And here we are like double that. So I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate the time you've given me, but no, I, I, I'm very happy to be on. And certainly if you ever have the occasion that you would like me to come back, you tell me when. Awesome. Awesome. Where can people find you, Casey? Yeah. So my website is caseylist.com, C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S. -S, but you can find my podcast at atp.fm and relay.fm slash analog spelled the correct way or with the UE on the end. Take your pick. So uh, you can you can check all those out. And I'm on Mastodon. I'm on Mastodon.social as Casey Liss. Instagram is Casey Liss. And that's basically any of the places that I actually frequent. I'm on threads, but I almost never look at it. Are you doing anything with threads? I, I never pay attention. Well, did they just add the web interface? They did. I, I don't think I've even loaded it yet. Yeah. Uh, no, not really. Get it. When are you going to change the theme song? So it has. Uh, I know. I know. We've talked to Jonathan Mann. <laughs> this is the ATP theme song. I think it goes. I can't sing, but it goes. If you're into Twitter, you can follow them. We're we're See, using we're hanging our hat on the fact that it says if you're into Twitter, which yes, I know it's strictly speaking X right now, but whatever. <laughs> so we're hanging our hat on that 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 if clause. We're we've talked to Jonathan about slotting something in there, but none of the four of us the three three hosts and jonathan man none of the four of us are quite sure what we should try to slot in instead so we're just keep kicking that yeah. can down the road forever is probably what's going to end up happening it's a relic of a bygone era when twitter was not as actively evil <laughs> slash a thing at all fair point <laughs> thank you so much casey it was great talking no to you. you as well thank you Leo. i appreciate it people can find me on x 
at Leo G. Dion. I'm on Mastodon at Leo G. Dion at C.M. The name of my company is Bright Digit. Break, go to brightdigit.com for all the other episodes and articles we have. If you're listening to this on a podcast player, I'd love a review. And if you're watching this on YouTube, like and subscribe, please. Thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you again. Bye, everyone. Bye.